Hello and welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Alexis. And we are your sad girls. We're cranky today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm cranky every day, but <laughs> extra cranky would actually be apt for today. Yes. Alexis just had to travel. I haven't heard back about that job interview. Would be a letdown to not get it after telling everyone about it. But also, I don't 100% want it. And I need to move. Yeah, there's a lot going on. A lot going on. Tis the season for shit to be happening. But I'm going to find a fabulous place. I did find a good spot. I, I liked it. But then I asked the landlord if he could fix two problems in the unit before moving in. He just didn't text me back. Great signs. <laughs> yeah. Good start. Um, <laughs> we love hands-off management. <laughs> to a to an extent. I don't I like know. a micromanager. But I also want someone that's going to fix my shit. Seriously. And then Alexis is going to look for a good spot, too. A little closer to the center of the things. Yeah. But uh, it's... It's it's tough, too, because it's like, man, I do like my apartment. I just fucking hate where it is. So I'm going to be like picky. But it's like, I know I can't be too picky. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things where I'm just like, come on, man. I know. Yeah. We both are looking for a two bed, two bath with a little balcony manifesting this. Yes. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. It's tough in L.A. Yeah, it, it really is. And it, they're not motivated like i feel like anywhere else they're trying to do everything they can to get you to move in but in la like they're not desperate they're like someone will move in yes there will always be so yeah don't give a shit and if you like a place and you don't put like an application in like immediately Mm -hmm. sometimes someone will just whoop scoop her on up yeah there was something great that i loved and they said we love your application but someone applied before you who also has great credit great income so sorry Ah. yep might be like that uh Well, today we're going to talk about someone who doesn't have any housing concerns. (laughs) (laughs) A few people that do not have any housing needs. Yeah, who has never looked for a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment in their lives. No, and they would be, they they wouldn't even know the concept of the money (laughs) to pay for said thing as well. Must be nice. Yeah, so if you don't know, we're talking about salt burn. Which people will not shut the fuck up about. So that's essentially why we're we're, we're continuing doing this. to not shut up about yeah, it. <laughs> it's like I was waiting for it to like die, but I I swear to, I ju- I don't know if you saw. I just sent you a horrific video. Oh no, <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> I saw it had the like vomit emoji with it. Yeah, it's, I, didn't see I don't it. know. I don't think I follow this person. Thing is one of those like sponsored, not sponsored, but like you know algorithmic. Yeah, things just pops that popped up. up. Mm-hmm. It was a bartender Instagram, and it's called like the salt burn bath water shot and it's like <laughs> looks like fucking cummy water um spoilers guys <laughs> but i would order that though just for the laughs of it i mean for the bit tbh like it didn't look terrible it had cream of coconut in it which Yum. is you know a milky looking pineapple situation. for the flavor yeah um <laughs> yeah i need some pineapple juice <laughs> Stop it. I oh, think man. we should make a personality test that's like discover who you are based on which gross salt burn scene you found the most disturbing because there are three of them and everyone wants to talk about one that they find the worst. And I think yes. that would be f- like a fun like back in the days, you know, when there was a like Quizilla and these different online Internet sites. This would be one of them. Yeah, just spoilers all around. Also, if you haven't watched the movie, I don't know why you'd want to listen to this anyways, but no. you know what? Spoilers. It's on Amazon Prime, too, which means you don't have to try very hard to no. watch it now. I think it, it had a theater release. It did. But very quickly. Because it came out last fall, so it definitely yeah. has been. 
No, I went to the uh, AMC in Burbank. I know there's three of them for local Angelinos, but the, the big one. And um, I remember seeing a poster for it, like right outside the movie theater. And I was like, oh, shit, that cast looks awesome. Like, that looks like a fun romp. Um, <laughs> boy, was mm-hmm. I wrong. Yeah. Barry, is it Keegan? Keoghan. Keoghan. I listen, I've heard him say it and I've listened to like 12 podcasts. Yeah. So, yeah. I believe Barry Keoghan. Keoghan. Because he's Irish. I mean, he is great. It was a great cast. We are we are pro the cast here and oh, yeah. their acting. The cast and the acting, like, flawless. I mean, Rosamund Pike is just fucking hilarious. Carrie Mulligan. The entire cast, start to finish, great. The cinematography on this, I'm, we're trying to say the positives now. Yes. The cinematography, gorgeous. Like, so dark, so gothic, so... Just like everything looked like a fucking picture. It was just, I mean, the house was gorgeous. The people are gorgeous. The setting is gorgeous. The way they shot all these shots. I mean, it was one of the most aesthetically beautiful films I've seen in a long time. It was. I did think it was dark in the lighting sense, though, at some points at the beginning. I was actually turning up my computer brightness because I'm like, I cannot see. What's going on here? It's so dark. I'm sure that's some sort of metaphor for some shit, blah, 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 (laughs) hiding in the shadows. But look, let let me see the faces here. Yeah, I think we both liked the setup of it but then the execution felt a little bit disturbing just for the sake of being disturbing gross for the sake of gross without actually fulfilling on how it was supposed to make us feel it was so underdeveloped in so many different ways like the writing felt like a first draft like an outline even it's like i want these things to happen but we Mm. had character development and weird like it was drawn out in a lot of places that it should have been shortened and it was shortened in a lot of places that should have been drawn out so Barry Keoghan's character named Oliver Quick, he's supposed to be like going to Oxford and he's supposed to be essentially de- deceiving this family. And you find out at the very end, he's been deceiving this family this whole time and killing them all off one by one. Why? The answer's supposed to be like, he's just a sociopath. And it's like, but we don't, we don't really get that. And he's not like a charming, he's not charming either. Yeah. Like he's a great actor, but like the character's not charming. He's not manipulative in a way where it's like, oh, well, I get it because he's like charming and, you know, he's really smooth. Like he's not. And we don't get any enough of his background to be like, why is he a sociopath? Is he obsessed with the house? Was he just obsessed with Jacob Elordi's character? But then he killed him off immediately. It's just the motivation was not there for me. And like you said, it just felt shocking to be shocking at times. I think they were trying to make a point about classism and the idea that we all want to eat the rich here and take down the rich and have what they have. And this person is willing to do it in a way that's just more extreme. But it's like a desire that we all we all want to be understood in school. We all want to be liked by our peers. We all want these riches. This guy is just willing to go lengths to get them. Yeah. And I think it's definitely cashing in on the current climate of wanting to eat the rich and in the same vein of movies like Parasite. But Emerald Fennell, who is the director and writer of this movie, came from a very, very, very wealthy British family. And I read she that went too. to Oxford. Yeah. And like a private school in the UK before right. Oxford. So is this supposed to be championing? 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 Championing. Champ- oh, that's a hard one. Right? Championing. Right. Is it is it pro the little guy? <laughs> is it pro the proletariat? Or is it pro the bourgeoisie? Because right. In a lot of ways, it's trying to humanize these rich, out-of-touch people. But it's also supposed to show that they're, like, stupid. 
but it was also like demonizing Barry Hogan's character. So it's yeah. like, do you are you one of these rich people that think all us middle class people want to like usurp you and kill you and take mm. over your riches, or <laughs> were you? This is how it feels to be on the inside. Because she was saying that I listened to one interview with her. She was like. Like, I was part of this world up to a point. Like, there's some, like, mm-hmm. you know, really rich people. And it's, like, you're trying to always fit in and stuff. And I and I get that. And I'm sure it is like that where if you're in a rich circle. I'm guessing. Again, this is not from experience. <laughs> right. If you're in a rich circle, there's a certain amount of showing off and having to have the best blank insert thing here. And Oliver Quick isn't poor either. He comes from a nice middle class family, which we saw. We do flip our alliance halfway through because it starts out where we are feeling judgment toward the Catton family, these very rich people, because we see them be very cold to their friend Pamela, who they just took in as a stray. And then when they got tired of her, they turn her out and she ends up dying, I think. Yeah, because... she, she kills herself. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, poor dear, that Pamela. She'll do anything for attention. <sighs> Making her into this punchline. So we see them as very callous and very out of touch. But then as... Oliver Quick starts picking them off, then now we feel sorry for them because they've been taken advantage of. So it wasn't clear for like who we were supposed to be cheering for. I hated everyone in the movie except for Felix, but then it was just because he was set up to be loved. They purposefully made him the golden boy who there's nothing we could hate about him because he likes people and he's kind to people and we are not given a reason to hate him. But that made me hate him because of that so in the end there was no one I was cheering for I mean I understand what you're saying and I think that was sort of the goal but I did kind of hate him because it seems like and you get a lot of hints during this so um Oliver Quick comes from a middle class family but he pretends not he pretends to come from a really working class poor family his dad apparently just died and his mom's like a drug addict and once Felix hears this it's like he perks up and Mm. it seems like the characters in Saltburn, the estate, were like, oh, I like you much better than the one he brought last year. Mm-hmm. It seems like he likes bringing home strays to make either make himself more interesting or to show off how good of a person he is. There's some sort of selfish reasoning mm-hmm. behind bringing in these these strays. True. Yes. So that is that is a reason not to like him. Are you a fan of Jacob Elordi in general? Um, I'm kind of ambivalent to him. I mean, I've only ever seen him in this and Euphoria, which I mean, Same. this movie is essentially um, British 2007 <laughs> Euphoria, um, college age British 2007 Euphoria. Um, mm, I'll take. <laughs> but I mean, he's fine. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have super positive or negative feelings. Like, he exists. You know, I understand that he's a good actor, which everyone did a great job acting, and he's objectively a, a handsome man but he's also younger than me and i feel like i feel like he's too young sometimes i'm like i don't know how old is he like is he like 22 or something he's probably older than that he's very tall yeah i think he's like six five five or something like that yeah i like tall but it's true he is just kind of generic tall handsome actor boy yeah well he's (laughs) and he is young i mean he's probably like 25 yeah he's definitely younger than us oh for sure and he's australian yeah and barry keoghan's irish which i thought was funny like the two main dudes in this movie aren't even english which cracked me up 26 he's 26 yep. okay yeah he, he looks 26 to me yeah i get that yeah um so the themes here we have questions about are we looking at classism are we looking at wealth disparities or like an eat the rich concept i think we also had a theme of obsession and desire where oliver quick's motivation 
while not really justified with a backstory or with a more fleshed out character, was just that he was obsessed with Felix and his life and he wanted to take over it by any means necessary. Right. But it's also, I mean, it poses the same question, like, which is the, the question at the very beginning of the movie. I loved him, but was I in love with him? Oh, well, which is is true because um, I don't know if we want to answer this now about the disturbing scenes because there are three. <laughs> What's the one that you found the most disturbing? I just disliked all of it so much. It was hard for me to for any of them to resonate with me. It made me compare those scenes to other disturbing scenes. So Irreversible always comes to mind as one of the grossest movies out there. Cause there is. A very long rape scene that oh, was God. awful. It's like at least five minutes long. It's oh, it just no. keeps going. No. And then there is a person who gets their face smashed in by a fire extinguisher, and it's a very close up on the person's face as it becomes more and more deformed. I haven't seen this movie in like fifteen years, and I can still see that in my head because I was just gaping, staring at it, like, oh my god, what is going on right now? I don't want to see this. I mean, I'm not squeamish, but just I am about rape scenes though, like graphic yeah. rape scenes. Like, ugh, I can't with those. That's it's bad. It's very troubling. And Saltburn has been compared to those kinds of movies, psychological thrillers that have a lot of shock value. Lars von Trier, I also heard. Emerald Fennel compared to, he did Antichrist, which is Willem Dafoe. And there's like a close up scene of a penis being uh, mutilated. Yeah, he likes that kind of shit. He's he's also a little bit shocked to shock. Yeah. And I do, in a way, I mean, I like movies that I heard it called poking at the audience intentionally. Like, we know what we're doing. We know we're trying to shock you. We know you're going to be talking about it. I think that's fun. These three scenes in Saltburn in particular just didn't have as much impact on me as some other similar movies do. I like I like shock value and I like yeah. disturbing. There was a scene in um, Fall in the House of Usher, which I don't want to spoil because I think it's good and it just came out recently and y'all should go see it or watch it on Netflix. But there was a disturbing scene there that I found horrifying, shocking. It totally changed the tone of the scene from one second to the next and really was well executed and made me feel something. And that's, I think, a version of this done well. And the way they did it in Saltbird, I was just like, oh, God, can we not? Are we really? Are you serious? Yeah. Um, so the, the three scenes that we're talking about <laughs> yes, in particular sure, is... Sure, as um, if they don't know. <laughs> as if you don't know. But specifically, there's the cummy bathwater where... Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob Elordi's character jerks off in the bath, and I we assume comes in the bathwater. And then as the bathwater's <laughs> draining and he's out of the room, Barry Keoghan's character, Oliver, goes in and be slurping up that, mm-hmm. that jizzy bathwater. Bath cum, one word. Bath cum, absolutely. <laughs> and it is shocking in the sense where you're like, that's fucking disgusting. And the way it's shot is also like very close-ups, and it's like his face is like pressed up against the bathtub, almost like like in ecstasy yeah like post-coital like uh-huh. just uh smeared lips all yeah over the yeah yeah um so that one and that's like the most famous one that's one that everyone talks about and then there's the uh period scene mm-hmm. where um oliver uh like we keep like interchanging like the actors it's names fine. and the character names it's fine are. you guys are following along you guys are with us right hey it is a 2006 period piece so in hey. that way yeah <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, <laughs> taking that quite literally being a period piece here. Yes. Um, yeah, Barry Keoghan's character goes down on the sister Venetia while she's on her period, and it's very bloody. And he he comes up from from this for air. <laughs> <laughs> 
covered in blood <laughs> covered around in his blood. mouth. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I heard Emerald Fennel say that this was supposed to be like an illusion. Like he's supposed to be a vampire, like sure. in the sense of, you know, like a social one. So this was supposed to be a little bit of a, a nod to him being vampiric. I was like, eh. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I think he, well, they say, I think he says I'm a vampire. Yeah. And it made me hope for a second that this was going to turn into a vampire movie. Vampire <laughs> I was movie. like, oh shit, yeah, I love vampires. You're like, it is based in 2006, 2007, which was very hot at the <laughs> peak time. Peak vampire time. This was the peak vampire season, so <laughs> let's make it a vampire movie if you really want to be accurate here. Um, and then the third one was when Felix dies, Jacob Lordy. They cover up his grave, and there's fresh dirt on top of the grave, and Barry Keoghan proceeds to get completely butt-ass naked and fuck the grave. Which I heard wasn't in the script. No. And Barry worked it out. I think uh, Emerald had the suggestion that he should unzip his pants, and he was like, I got you, girl. I'll go one step further. Yeah, I heard that as well. He, he like, <laughs> he was one that was like, I'm going to do this. She was like, yeah, I think your character would absolutely do that. And then he did. And then he did. He fucks the grave. He fucks the grave. They really committed to that one. They did. And I will have to say, that was the one I found the most disturbing. I agree because, well, probably also because the bathroom had been completely spoiled for everyone on the internet. And the period oral sex, I actually thought, this is very feminist. I like (laughs) this. I was like, more men going down (laughs) on their ladies while they're on the period. You guys think you're you're heroes for period sex? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that scene I enjoyed for that aspect of it. Agreed. This is is good. This is fine. It wasn't sexy or particularly disturbing. It was kind of gross, but not in like a... I'm not going to sleep well tonight kind of a way. No. And even if people did, if people didn't talk about it, I wouldn't even like remembered it five years from now. Right. You yeah. Know, that wouldn't have like stuck with me. No. Fucking a grave. That kind of stuck with. And the fact that that <laughs> seems like long and then it's like yeah. raining. Yeah. So it's like muddy. Ugh, gross. And it's like, he is like very, it is very, um, like what's the word I'm looking for? Not Gra- visceral. Graphic. graphic. Yeah, yeah, I guess graphic would be right. It's like, it's not just like he's humping it. It's like he is fucking that grave. I heard an interview with Emerald Fennel. She said if he had just unzipped his pants and we'd cut away, which is what some people wanted them to do in the editing room. They're like, you know, we could edit all of this out. <laughs> like, that would be fine. Um, she says then it's a gag. Like, it's almost, it's funny if we just see the pants unzip. Mm-hmm. And if we cut it right after he starts fucking the grave, then we don't really get to feel it along with him we don't see his full emotional spectrum through that scene we don't see him to completion (laughs) no quite literally yeah by watching him uh finish and then start crying and realize how pathetic he is then we really get to experience the emotion along with the character which I see. I see that justification. I get it. I didn't. I wish I hadn't seen it. <laughs> but now that I have, I understand. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, as, as far as the themes of the movie and one of them being obsession, mm-hmm. I think that really drives home like how deep this goes. Like yeah. how much do you have to be obsessed? I don't know any other word because I don't think that's necessarily love. How much do you have to mm-hmm. be obsessed with someone to do that? Yeah, I'm not hung up on the question of are they, is it love or am I in love? Because um, I think it's pretty common for people to just confuse strong emotions for other people. And it it, it does have 
obviously very homoerotic tones and a lot of queer people go through that question of like, do I want to be this person or do I want to have sex with them? (laughs) Because they're just so cool. And I, um, there was an older girl when I was a teenager who I was just very fascinated with. And I would not have gone as far as to murder her and steal her life and have sex with her grave. Probably. I mean, I didn't have the chance. She wasn't (laughs) rich, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have. And it was that similar confusion of like, I think I just want to be, I want to emulate everything about her because I admire it. But at the same time, there's an attraction to kind of their, to their essence. I heard it called like he's in love with Felix's essence, not him as a person, but what he represents. Yeah. And I see that too, because yeah, especially as the movie progresses and he immediately kills him off first and his sort of role that he's developed within this family and everything becomes jeopardized, then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to immediately kill you off to like keep myself in this, in this realm. Yes. So yeah, it's, it, you think it's about him and then you're kind of like, well, maybe it's not. And I did see the deaths coming. I don't think I'm very good at predicting. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. But as soon as he was threatening to banish Oliver and then is just icing him out and cold, this is after he finds out that Oliver has been lying to him, which would be so creepy to have a guest, a friend who has been lying to you, but at the same time, very controlling to like drive to Oliver's house and try to intervention with his family. I would be pissed as a person who values their independence highly. Even if I wasn't lying, whether I was or not, if someone is like, I'm going to help you with your family and we're going to go drive out. We're all going to have a conversation together. I would feel very violated. Yeah, me too. I'd be like, "Um, absolutely not. No, not your place. The reason the excuse they gave for why that happened was because apparently his mom kept calling and he kept blowing off his mom's phone calls. And he's thinking that like the dad just died and he's being a, a callous asshole by not talking to his mom whose husband just died. And it's his place to be a callous asshole. It's still yeah. not your friend. As a friend, I don't think it's your job to interfere to that level you can say something to your friend and say i see your mom's been calling and i i'm worried about you and etc but i i I had people and have had people try to help me by kind of going outside of me to offer support and talk to someone else anytime someone is talking to someone else about you you're just gonna make the person who's the subject of it shut down and shut you out Mm -hmm. Because that's a, it's just such an icky feeling. Yeah. And especially when I've had this happen to me before too, where I I had two friends because I was like not doing well mentally, but instead of like talking to Mm -hmm. me about it, they like all talked to each other. And then it was like, well, so-and-so said this about you and like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, so y'all are talking about me. Okay, cool. Like that. And yeah, I, that's one of the, the worst moments of my life was like finding out that my friends were just like, they said it was in a good way. Like they were concerned for me, but it felt like. Yep. They were shit-talking me. I think there's a feeling that people get, a sort of good feeling that's related to a good feeling that comes with gossiping or sharing a secret where you're talking about someone and you're telling yourself it's for a good intention because you want to help them. But there's a core part of it where you just enjoy feeling like you're helping someone and talking about someone and getting to share shit and have a deep conversation and feel like you're doing something good. There's like a a perverse pleasure that comes with that that people don't admit. Yeah, hits the nail on the head right there. But we don't feel sorry for Oliver Quick. (laughs) This isn't, yes, the concept of what Felix did is wrong in my opinion, but in this case, Oliver is the true villain of the story through and through. 
Yeah. And I don't know about you. I'm sure the same. I knew he was lying about all that shit. Yeah. He like, seemed, from the get-go. He was sus. Yeah. He was very sus. Yeah. And I think he kind of knew, oh, if I'm the social outcast, I'm going to be the most social outcast. Because, you know, at the beginning, they're making fun of, he gets his clothes at Oxfam, and he's poor and nerdy. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to be the outcast, I want to be, like, an interesting one. So I can see the, like, cogs turning mm-hmm. in his in his head, which it shows for great acting. It's like, you can see him thinking this through. Absolutely. Um, but the people that were, like, shocked by that, I'm like, um, I don't think that was... No. Out of left field. No. No. The shocking twists and turns were not very shocking. I mean, I didn't Agreed. see all of the... Is it machinations? That sounds like a cool word. Yeah, that's... I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> of him sabotaging Felix's bike or not having money. Like, that. the specifics of his long-term scheming wasn't clear as we were going along but i also didn't really want a montage at the end spelling all of that out yeah i that's how i hate that's what pissed me off too i'm like yeah we we get it you didn't need to go through all of that like when you have the twist at the end where he's just killing them all off so he can take over and put himself in the will we we got it Mm -hmm. we we get that he was scheming and plotting for years yeah yeah, and we don't buy that they wouldn't have done an investigation into Felix's death. Although I did hear a theory that it's because they were rich and there would have been an assumption that he overdosed. So there would have been like a paying off of the coroner to not ask any more questions, perhaps. Yeah, I, that's what I got from it was that it, they didn't want the publicity because yeah. they were, you know, still society people. So maybe the moral of that is that if you kill a rich person, you're actually more likely to get away from it because they'll hush hush. They won't do a full investigation. Yeah, I think it depends on how they die. I think it's in something like that where it's like we had a giant blowout party and mm-hmm. he was because he was they did ecstasy right they did they were doing drugs they seemed like it okay i don't remember i don't remember yeah i don't remember the pills popped but yeah i mean that's i mean it's supposed to be the summer of 2007 yeah someone that was a teenager during the summer of 2007 i could that yeah farley had cocaine and they shot that party scene in a very trippy sort of wow kind of a way that like we were looking at it through someone's eyes who were on drugs i thought what did you think of farley as a character, because I listened to a bunch of podcasts and all of them but one were like, he was the best character. I loved him. <laughs> oh, no, he was so annoying. I don't even I, I wasn't cheering for him. He was a total dick to Oliver to the point that when bad things started happening to him, I was like, well, you kind of had that one coming, Farley. He was such an asshole. I don't remember what he said specifically, but like he put down his clothes like, oh, did you rent that tuxedo? He was very dickish in a classist way. And it's probably because he had a poor family. He was like a cousin. He was an outlier. They just sort of brought him in out of guilt. And I just thought he was annoying and an asshole. And I didn't mind when he died. Yeah, I thought... Wait, did he die or he just got banished? I think he was just banished. I think he was just banished. Yeah, Yeah. he like set him up for stealing Oliver. He made it look like... And then they found the cocaine in his room and he was kicked out. Yes. Yes. So he was cut off. I still don't feel sorry for him. No. And I mean, this is just the actor Alexis coming up. Please. Um... A, his accent was terrible. He's definitely <laughs> English. It's definitely mm. an English person trying with all of their might to do an American God, accent. they did. They got everyone wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I didn't think he was that great of an no. actor. He was not. I didn't find his character compelling. No. Because I think with an evil character, it's great acting when you feel sorry for them a little bit or when you feel something for them. Even if they're a dick, it's like, well, but I still 
find them interesting to watch. He was not interesting to me. Yeah, and I think they tried to give him a backstory to garner empathy for him, but it just it didn't it didn't work for me personally. Good use of the word garner, though. I like that. Oh, garnering you. empathy. Oh, thank you so much. I, I've <laughs> I've used words before. True. <laughs> You said something about Oliver Quick's clothes earlier, dressed like a nerd. I was just, something I saw or heard was talking about the evolution of his clothes, which I didn't really notice when I was watching the movie, but I appreciated later that he starts out as this very, he has like glasses on and he's not wearing anything fancy or looks kind of dorky. And then he gets like a little more well-dressed when he goes and visits Saltburn. And then by the end, he's wearing suits. So we did get to see a, a wardrobe transformation, which I appreciate just as a person who likes clothes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually listened to this interview with Emerald Fennel, and she was talking about how like the clothes were so important to this movie because of the time period, too, and mm-hmm. her being college aged during this time like she kind of made it a little bit autobiographical in that sense and she was like no I called up these designers and they had like some of their original collections like from that season and like she was really making sure that that the clothes were of this time and so I think she did focus a lot on clothing so I'm not surprised that there was like an evolution throughout the movie of his clothing. Elspeth had some very pretty dresses when they were outside on the lawn she was talking about how she inspired a song. Oh god that was so funny. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's a very particular uh, song. But I, 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 that part I cracked up. I mean, there was parts of this movie that were mm-hmm. good. And she was definitely the best part of the movie. Duncan the Butler, also solid, like fun, creepy actor. I mean, I think he is a caricature. He's not a fleshed out human, which is fine. Like that fit in well. Yes. And I, maybe that's the problem is where things where they were trying to get us to care about people who weren't fully developed, it's it's not going to work. But if there's someone who's just, he's the spooky butler who says spooky things, who's been with the family forever, I know everything I need to know about him. I'm referencing other stereotypical butlers from other movies now, and that's all I need. Yeah, and I think that also fits with the movie where it's like they, they're not supposed to care about their workers, which they comment on a couple times. True. So him being sort of one-dimensional is fits. fits yeah. yeah. But he definitely seemed like he knew what Oliver was up to right away as the person who sees behind the scenes and knows the family the best. Like he was immediately suspicious of Oliver and had that fun, creepy line of lots of people get lost in Saltburn. Ooh, what does it mean? Ooh. Do people die there or do they lose themselves amongst all this majesty? Yes. <laughs> well, I, th- I was going to say, I think with the ending scene, I think the, uh, <laughs> the latter is the correct answer. <laughs> what did you think of the very ending? The very ending is the... Uh, the dance. The naked dance. The naked dancing yes. through through Saltburn. I enjoy naked dancing just on face value. <laughs> just as a person who likes, I don't know. I like that I liked that it was over the top and it was silly and it was fun. And I actually thought it was a great closer no, I, for actually, this movie. I loved it. Yeah. I thought that was a solid choice. Yeah. Um, and then Emerald Fennel, she had a comment on that scene that I made a note of. She said that even... If you weren't on his side, it's impossible to not be on his side at the end, talking about Oliver, which feels a little ridiculous because I don't think I I did not end on the side of Oliver. But that scene was supposed to be so 
it was you were supposed to be dancing along with him and the only way to get the audience's attention to that point that you were so engaged would be to make him naked because that's taboo and eye-catching if that was the motivation i think that was a failure (laughs) i think for me it more just showed his craziness i don't know what another word for Mm -hmm. that is i think it just kind of showed how like depraved he really like we saw other things that of his depravity of like again the above mentioned scenes but that was just sort of like wow you're literally dancing on their grave true yeah yeah, I'm, yeah, she said it was, for her, the intention was more, we want this kind of exuberant moment, and we want the audience to feel that exuberance with him. Like, what a total success he has had. He has totally come out on top. And to achieve that, we'll put on a peppy song. We'll make him naked. Like, we'll make it fun. Yeah, and now that song is everywhere it's like on every fucking tiktok and it's on the radio all the time and i i'd like the song it's not a bad song i'm just like it's like what stranger things did for running up the hill oh my god <laughs> and i as as a goth um mm-hmm. yes when, when the normies started listening to kate bush i was like hmm. not to be a hipster about this but what the fuck yeah. <laughs> this is our music this Excuse is goth me? appropriation <laughs> Um, I heard Barry Keoghan say that in that final scene, he had no qualms about being naked because I feel like actors, you you can't have mm-hmm. a qualm about being naked. But he said he was way, like, 10 times more terrified of, like, dancing in front of Aww. the camera than being naked in front of the camera, which is true. It's like, that was a one long shot of, like, yeah. him walking through the house. So it's like, you have to have that all in one shot going and moving through mm-hmm. the house and, and dancing, which is, can be vulnerable if you're not, like, you know, super fleshed out. Oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he has to embody a total natural not confidence because he's not supposed to be performing for anyone in that scene but uninhibitedness so he has to express uninhibitedness as if you were alone dancing on your enemy's graves when in actuality this actor is in front of 30 people on um, a crew staring at him yeah dance like no one's watching yeah, right no <laughs> Whatever your mom's kitchen uh, textual <laughs> things say. Yeah, dancing in front of people is super intimidating if you don't have a lot of practice with it. And um, I think he just fully committed to this role, which I completely respect. And his acting is probably one of the best parts of the movie. Um, it's just a shame that the plot wasn't as cooked as it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I just have such a problem with this story like how it felt just so underdeveloped and it 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 had potential (laughs) it really did like i i see what you did there i see what you were going for but i also they referenced this movie a lot to things that i haven't seen or read basically I, i saw a lot of things i was like this movie is just the talented mr ripley which i've never seen but apparently that's like the same plot or bride's head revisited which i haven't read but i hear it's essentially the same thing just set in 2007 I felt it was more like when I was watching, I was like, this feels just like Dangerous Liaisons or more readily available Cruel Intentions, Mm. which uh, was the 90s teen version of 
dangerous liaisons. Remember in the 90s where they were like trying to make classic stories? They were like making them teen movies. I just watched Clueless with my friend. So now I understand that. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. And 10 <laughs> Things I Hate About You was based off oh, uh, yeah. Taming of the Shrew. Yeah, that's true. And then, oh, wait, she's the man. That was later, but wasn't that? That was um, Twelfth Night. Yes. That's funny. Yeah, that was like a whole thing. They were like, it was mostly Shakespeare, but they also did other like classic literatures. But Cruel Intentions right. was based off Dangerous Liaisons, which I felt a lot in this movie where it's like using sex and like being mm-hmm. rich and like using it to like get yourself ahead and getting what you want and like not caring about other people and just like using them for what you can gain and being like sexy, rich children felt very of that in my opinion. And it got compared to that as well. Agree. But I'll take that over another Star Trek Harry Potter remake of an old Disney movie intellectual property concept because that's so much of what movies are these days. That at at least, yeah, I I will say it's fun to be talking about a movie that isn't just another in a long line of a mega corporation (laughs) Disney product yeah um, making more and i was just about to say that too it's like all of this is to say yeah even though over overall neither of us really liked this film i do like that it is an original script and it's a female writer yes. and a female director which i didn't realize this until we were doing this all the movies we've talked about on the show have all been female directors i slay i mean obviously well, unintentionally what did we talk oh barb okay yes barbie i thought about i did think about that too where i was like oh yeah barbie was late but then also um 50 shades of gray too, yeah that has a female yes yeah. wow let's make it intentional now that we only talk about movies with female well the one we talked about yesterday about doing next does not have a female director Oh, bummer. All right. Well. But I I was just like, I can't believe we unintentionally did that. It makes sense. We should take a little break before we go any further. Yeah. We're back from our break, and Alexis wants to read some of her deranged notes today. Yes, she does. Or at least I want her to. (laughs) So... When I made my notes for Saltburn, because I watched it uh, probably a couple of months ago now, but um, I was listening to some podcasts just to like... Get some like backstories and you know yeah, fun refresh. facts. And, yeah, get some yeah refreshers and be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that scene. But I was uh, trashed on the plane coming back from visiting my family. I had had like I chugged like three mimosas, four mimosas, and a really terrible white wine. And I was just fervently texting on my notes app my um, my thoughts as well as <laughs> notes for this and. One of this was, um, podcasts are talking about how much they love men in sweaters, and I cannot stress how much I agree. My favorite <laughs> thing is when my husband wears a turtleneck sweater, and I'm like, we gotta go! And I have the, the really hot emoji. <laughs> so, um, really, really, uh... <laughs> Emojis made it into your podcast Look. notes. <laughs> oh, I see there's four of them. The red face and sweating. The red too hot face with the tongue sticking out. I've never, I don't have that for sweaters. I've never had that thought myself, but I support you. It's a pretty innocent thing to be excited about, so. I mean, I do like sweaters in general, but like something about a turtleneck sweater, like a ribbed turtleneck sweater on a man. I just, <sighs> there. but the problem is like, I, my te- I feel like my temperature doesn't regulate well, so I'm always either too hot or too cold or like sweating out. It just, I need to be able to change my layers quickly. Turtlenecks are a commitment. It's gotta be fucking cold for you to be like, I'm gonna wanna wear this all day. Yeah, I do have a lot of turtlenecks and I weirdly have a lot of short sleeve turtlenecks. <laughs> You just don't like necks. <laughs> you just don't want to see that 
flabby, fleshy <laughs> neck skin around the throat. That's what it really is. Are you saying my neck is flabby? <laughs> Disgusting. No, I, I guess I'd be insulting your husband in this because you're talking about liking turtlenecks on people, which means you don't want to see their necks. Anyway, no, our necks are fine. We got retinol cream, baby. Yeah, I'd be retinol and <laughs> yeah, do my chest, do my neck, do the back of my hands, and do my showering face. in retinol. Absolutely. Um, do you have any other notes that we we didn't get to? It's not. If not, it's okay. I mean, I just had some things about um, in the party scene. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't think about this until I was listening to some podcasts, but now I'm like pissed off about it. So it was a Midsummer Night's Dream themed party for um, Oliver's birthday. Mm-hmm. And the characters I dressed up as, it's like Oliver's dressed up with horns and Felix literally has angel wings. <laughs> it's literally a devil and an angel. Like, they're not exactly like they're, you know, characters from Midsummer, but it's like, oh wow, way to way to really just drive this point home here. There are some other interpretations though of Oliver being like a minotaur because he's going to the center of the maze where Felix is killed. And there are other animal references toward him. Like at one point Venetia says Well, because there's a there's a Minotaur statue in the maze, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There is. Right, it's like heavy-handed symbolism, but people have also just taken it to find different interpretations of what they're going for, which is which is fun. I mean, it's honestly, this is like exactly what you want from a film. You want people making podcasts talking about what they liked or didn't like or if they agree with the illusions or the symbolism or the evolution of the clothes. Like, that is, there's no such thing as bad publicity, as they say. I mean, there definitely is, but um, <laughs> in this case... I think she must have done a good job of making it sensational enough that we're all talking. Yeah, and that's that's a positive, too. And I think you're totally right. It's like she made something that we were all talking about. The only other thing I wanted to get to is the treatment of female characters in this movie, because I haven't really seen people get into that feminist angle, because we're also distracted by bathcum. We haven't been looking at Yeah, just like, get does over it... the bathcum, people. <laughs> Grow up. I don't think it passes the Bechdel test. Oh, God, no. Yeah, because it's very uh, Felix and Oliver-centric. I like, obviously, the queer tones. I mean, that's fun that now when we have a piece like this, it can be pretty gay. I mean, Felix... Uh... Well, no, not Felix. Oliver and Farley have a sexual scene. With Felix, it's only implied, I think. But there's like the watching him masturbate, which is obviously sexual. So that's fun. We like we like weird and queer. Yeah, and I like that it it wasn't like a to do. Like no. you know what I mean? It was no. just like we're just we're just fucking, and mm-hmm. like our sexuality is just out here in the open, and it's just like it is. Fuck yeah, that's true. sick. Very true. Yeah, I, no judgments on it. Like no. nothing. No, we don't we're not really thinking of it as a queer piece because that's just a part of it. It's not the point of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had Venetia who was fun but didn't really have a character or backstory. And then we had Elsbeth, the mom who everyone loves. And that was kind of it. I mean, there was oh, there was Pamela. Poor dear Pamela. Poor dear Pamela. Which is her character name, by the way, which is incredible. That's actually like how she like her character name, like in the credits, is oh, poor dear funny. Pamela Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> so not a good treatment of a female character then, because that's a punchline. She's not. She is the punchline. Yeah, she's not a real person that we care about in any way. We had his mom as well. There weren't a lot of characters in this movie, but I can list all of the lady characters on one hand. <laughs> it seems yeah. like all of the 
the women with lines. I guess there were f- yeah. four of them. Well, and there was those two girls at school that Felix sure. was hooking up with. Yeah. And then one of them, he, that's the one he was like making out with at the end of the hedge maze. Her name was India, I think. Okay. Yeah. Those, that's not, those don't count. This No, I mean, they did have lines. <laughs> they did though. have lines. Fair. No, you're totally right. You're right. You can't count them all on one hand, but. I do think this movie gave a lot more to do with its driving male characters and didn't really have any women supporting actresses who did anything for the plot. Yeah. Because we could have had this movie. I mean, I guess we need Venetia and we need Elspeth, but they didn't have much to do in the story. No. Other than be acted upon. Like, they didn't have any actions of their own. I'm not a film person so I'm trying to like think of other (laughs) other things that I understand and apply it to this concept but I'm pretty sure a strong character is one that does something that moves the plot forward (laughs) that is necessary for the story to unfold as opposed to like she was just there and then someone went down on her or she was manipulated by Oliver and then murdered so not the most feminist of masterpieces perhaps yeah, which is surprising because, again, I haven't seen this movie. Her previous film was Promising Young Woman, which I heard was very yes, feminist. True. And, I, again, I haven't seen it, but um, people are also polarized on that. So I, I do kind of actually want to watch it after this just to see the, the comparisons because you have a good point. This was a very androcentric film. Yes. And Promising Young Woman is supposed to be a, a feminist story, so... I mean, maybe she was just trying to mix it up. I'm sure. <laughs> Next, it will be a non-binary lead character. Yeah, perhaps. Um, yeah, I guess not every not every film has to be a feminist film. But how often do we have the inverse where it would be to female characters who have homoerotic overtones, and then just some men around them? Like you don't see that inverse as often. But maybe that's what we had in Promising Young Woman. I saw the same thing that it was. I think it's like a revenge story. Yeah, it's about, um, I think she gets sexually assaulted, and um, it's sort of like a, yeah, revenge based on, like, the people who have wronged her as well as her assailant. That's fun. Yeah, I I mean, nothing I love more than a revenge story, I'll tell you that. I don't know why, I just, I love people getting their comeuppance. It's satisfying. It truly is. I have a nurse complaint. Please. At the end, when he pulls out, she's supposed to be intubated, like vented, mm-hmm. um, Elspeth, at the very end, when he's he's talking to her at, her at her deathbed, which we get, that's one of the twists, like the very beginning, you think he's getting like interviewed for something, and he's just talking to her, and she's like in a coma. Yep. But there's this very dramatic scene where he like pulls out this tubing, and the way it's shot, it's like this really long tubing that he like pulls all the way out, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be really dramatic. A... First of all, if any tubing was that long and inside of her, that would be like almost to her butthole, okay? Like, it is not that long of tubing. And B, that tubing is huge. That would not be going down your throat. And that's also tubing that we use for big things of oxygen, not necessarily like regular oxygen tubing. It's for things that are like, anyways, not to get medical, but like, A, that's huge. B, that's really long. C, not even close. Like, healthcare is not like this super niche job field like you could ask someone and i get they want like the dramatics of it but even still it's like yeah i feel like you could have done that more successfully i was gonna say for sure yeah dramatic effects i bet they had like a normal size tube and he pulls it out and emerald goes not big enough not long enough we need a bigger tube get me a bigger tube because it's much more dramatic yeah i mean what they used to intubate people with is not small by any means and it's, it's pretty but it's only like maybe 
eight inches long. That could still translate. Yeah, I mean, especially like if you do like feet. a violent, like a violent pull out of it, it's still uh-huh. pretty gross. And you can still have like squelching, and you can still have that like silhouetted <laughs> shot. Like Squelch. it's still big enough to be gross. Like that was just like, geez, it's like a fucking clown handkerchief. Like, like it's so fucking long. It was insane. Yeah, those little inconsistencies and Easter eggs bother me too. Because it's like, come on. Don't you know, just have someone ask, someone on set, some consultant. You had to get that equipment from a prop house, I'm guessing. Don't yeah. they have the right tubes at the prop house? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying, too. It's like, the medical field's one of the biggest industries that people work in. So it's not like, oh, like, this one person who's like a, you know, 19th century Victorian set piece specialist that right. knows about this paint is upset. It's like, no, like, doctors and nurses <laughs> and even just people that work in hospitals are going to be like, what the fuck? They're around. <laughs> Should we wrap it up? Any closing notes? No, I just felt really old watching this because it's like, it's 2007. It's a period piece. I said it 2006. It starts in 2006, like the school year. And then the summer is 2007. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So it's both. I love that. It is both. How satisfying. Yeah, I listened to Yeah, but it was just like the music they were playing. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) MGMT and Block Party, I'm old. I mean, I was really young when those songs came out, but still. Still. It was was just a reminder of my... (laughs) fleeting existence i think there was one song someone said on a podcast that wasn't supposed to be released yet so it wasn't completely accurate but yeah there was a lot of anachronisms in this movie but like not majorly like they sang low during karaoke i and think that was, was song, probably that came out in 2008 was, i think that was yeah that, that was, was the, the one. Big one oof yeah and also, like, they were watching Superbad, and that came out, like, later in 2007, mm. but then they justified that by saying they had friends in the British film industry, so they probably <laughs> had a screener of it, which is true. I mean, you can get a screener really early ahead of time, and just some songs, like, slightly, like, one of the Arcade Fire songs they played came out, like, six months after it was supposed to be happening, like, but it was within, like, a couple years, so it's, it's like, who, come on, like, we, we can't be super nitpicky about that. Yep. I am Misandrist Memes on Instagram. And I am TX Goth GF. And we are sadgap.podcast. You can email us at sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a question, comment, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you. And please, if you can, give us a rate. A rate? Whoop. A rate? Give, <laughs> give us, us a rate. rate. Give us one rate. I'll take a rate. Yeah, if you can. Just uh, one, though. <laughs> but like five of them stacked beside each other in one. I was like, don't fuck it up this time, Alexis. And what do I do? <laughs> fuck it up. Um, if you could, go on your platform. You could just say the same thing every time. I know, but I know. forget what I say every time. That's the problem. I always forget what I'm saying. Anyways, guys, rate, review, subscribe. Go rate us on Apple Podcasts. Go rate us on uh, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Um, and you can write a little, a little note review on Apple and share with a friend. We hope you enjoyed 2007 British Euphoria. And we're stronger together. We'll see you next time. Me. Mm-hmm.